The ninth chapter of the book of Acts puts me in mind of the opening paragraphs of an essay by the great Christian fiction writer Flannery O'Connor. She's describing the vocation of the Christian, and in her context, Catholic, novelist, in terms of the legend of St. Francis of Assisi, converting a wolf that was terrorizing the Italian town of Gubbio. And this is entirely appropriate for tonight, as the feast day of St. Francis is coming this Friday, the 4th of October. O'Connor writes, Whenever I think of the Catholic novelist and his problems, I always remember the legend of St. Francis and the wolf of Gubbio. This legend has it that St. Francis converted a wolf. I don't know whether he actually converted this wolf, or whether the wolf's character didn't just greatly improve after he met St. Francis. Anyway, he calmed down a good deal. But the moral of this story, for me at least, is that the wolf, in spite of his improved character, always remained a wolf. So it is, or ought to be, with the Catholic, or let us just say, with the thoroughly Christianized novelist. No matter how much his character may be improved by the church, if he is a novelist, he has to remain true to his nature as one. The church should make the novelist a better novelist. I say should, because unfortunately this doesn't always happen. The Catholic novelist frequently becomes so entranced with his Christian state that he forgets his nature as a fiction writer. This is all right, and this is fine, if he stops writing fiction. But most of the time, he doesn't stop writing it, and he makes the same kind of spectacle of himself that the wolf would have made if, after his meeting with St. Francis, he had started walking on his hind legs. So tonight, the question I will explore is whether Saul is converted in Acts 9. I mean, of course he is converted, if we insist on using that word. He goes from killing Christians to not killing them, and in fact becomes one, so surely that must count for something. But I fear we risk imposing our modern Western sensibilities on Acts 9 that come along with the word conversion. Protestants often talk about conversion as a definitive moment in one's life, often a moment of crisis, when an individual turns from a spirit of proud self-reliance to a spirit of total dependence on the grace of God for forgiveness through the cross of Christ. And let me reassure you, that's a wonderful and indeed essential experience to have. Roman Catholics, on the other hand, often speak of the Christian life as a long, never-ending series of conversions, of a constant turning away from sin and a turning toward life in Jesus Christ. And that's a great way to frame the Christian life. You're not one and done, but always turning from the self to the good. But I think it may be best that we set aside the subject headings you might find in your Bibles right now. What Acts 9 shows us is not the primacy of a subjective, interior, about face that pushes aside all of Saul's prior life. No, Saul is quite literally blindsided by an objective, external force entirely from the outside. Yes, Saul's life is turned around, but he's knocked down and dragged into a future that God has been preparing his entire life. And in that sense, he does not have a conversion experience as we tend to think of one. He has been borne along by the Lord all of his life. By appearing to Saul, Jesus accelerates Saul forward, not backward, along a path that God has already set him upon. Saul obviously experiences a kind of reversal, but like the wolf of Gubbio, Saul remains who he is, 
and in fact becomes more of himself, not less. This is what happens whenever Jesus takes hold of us. We become who we truly are. First, we need to clear up a little confusion. It is popularly assumed that Saul undergoes a name change because of a radical transformation in Acts 9, after which he becomes Paul. But that is a common misreading. Saul's name is never changed, per se. The narrator simply switches his name to Paul. As anybody from a foreign country will understand, it is often expedient to bear two names when your neighbors speak another language. Saul was the apostle's Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. He probably used both names, both before and after his calling on the road to Damascus. In that sense, he is the same Saul he has always been. Back to our question, is Saul converted? Consider now the fact that Saul has never ceased to be a Jew. He does not once renounce his heritage as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nor does he repudiate his training under the law of Moses. When Saul, then under his Greek name Paul, retells the story about this same encounter, when he tells it in Acts 22, he in fact emphasizes his Jewishness in verses 1-3. through Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He confesses the atrocious way he carried out that zeal, but being zealous for God was not in itself an error. A few verses later in that passage, Paul underscores Ananias's own Jewish credentials and how that connects to him. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Paul's commission from Ananias stresses continuity, in particular with God's mission to save the world through the Jewish people. All that to say, the stress on continuity is important for Acts' broader point, that the mission to the Gentiles was God's plan from the beginning. Indeed, it was Israel's mission all along. Acts is part two of the Gospel of Luke. The resurrected Jesus explains in Luke 24, verses 44 through 47, how everything written about me, that's Jesus, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Likewise, Peter preaches in his Pentecost sermon that the prophet Joel foretold how the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and that all who called on the name of the Lord would be saved, thus anticipating the mission to the Gentiles in addition to Jews. Yes, it is a surprise in a way, Yet, in another, Luke bends over backwards to demonstrate how this was God's plan all along. 
In contemporary theological discourse, we sometimes hear how the church must change doctrine X about subject Y because God showed how all the Jews were wrong about Gentiles, so we need to listen to when God announces a major change. That is highly misleading. At no point does Luke concede that the Old Testament forbids Jewish fellowship with Gentiles or that Gentiles would forever be excluded from the people of God. Luke never says that was then and this is now and God has corrected the record, i.e. the Old Testament. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, the disciples' eyes need to be opened to see it. Paul quite literally needed his eyes opened to see God's intention for the Gentiles. But the problem was with Paul, with the traditions of his sect, not with Judaism per se, not with the Old Testament. What changed was Paul's and the other disciples' understanding of where they stood on God's timeline. The last days were always going to look like this. The good news is that Jesus rose from the dead, and so now we know for certain that we live in the last days. So Saul, slash Paul, did not convert in the sense that he converted from Judaism to Christianity. He became Jewish the way Jewish was always meant to be. This way of thinking may be helpful for those of us who have internalized the idea that Saul's experience was normative, which is to say some of you may feel self-conscious for not having a dramatic break from your past. Maybe like me, you grew up envious of powerful testimonies you heard from people in church like Saul. At the same time, there may be others of you whose past um, from before you profess faith in Jesus haunts you to this day, and you're thankful for a decisive 180-degree turn. But perhaps such people struggle with the Christian, like the Christian novelist that Flannery O'Connor describes. They renounce their past so starkly that they struggle to see the divine significance in the experiences, the skills, the talents, even the wounds and scars that they carry from before their life-saving turn to trust Jesus Christ. In either case, it may be useful to read Acts 9 not as Saul's conversion, but as Saul's calling. Whatever came before, whether one was Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, God calls all of us to follow Christ together, and what matters is how one responds to that call today. In fact, sometimes the hardest call to follow is the one we've been hearing the longest. Maybe we can even acknowledge that God has placed a certain call on our lives for a long time, and that we've been wrong to ignore it, but ignore it we have. Well, maybe it's just time to accept that you or I, for whatever reason, needed several months, years, or alas, decades to realize we've been wrong to ignore what God has been doing in our lives all along. One of the most powerful experiences for me like this was when I was walking toward a church one Sunday about 10 years ago. Uh, I was in downtown D.C., and this was around the time I was in seminary. I passed by a group of homeless people lying motionless on the ground within maybe 100 feet of the church. They were all African American. One of them got up and started haranguing the crowd to wake from their moral stupor. You guys just keep walking by, he said, but for all you know, these men and women could be dead. And you know what? This man was right. I had no idea whether they were asleep or dead. Now, at a conscious level, I knew racism was wrong. I knew the poor needed help. In fact, I probably articulated these things 
about as well as any 20-something white male could have. Yet here I was, confronted with a voice that, as far as I am concerned, emanated from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. And, to my enduring shame, I kept walking right up those steps into the church to sing praises to my maker. I was totally in the right, the sensitive, cosmopolitan, well-educated Christian that I was, and yet I could not have been more wrong. Now, as many of you know, I have continued on the path that seminary started me on. That experience on M Street in D.C. did not make me less of who I was. Rather, it eventually brought me further along to where God always wanted me to be. Likewise, the Christian novelist ought to become more of a novelist, not less of one. Saul did not become less of a zealot for the God of Israel. On the contrary, he became the greatest evangelist the church has ever known. The point of Acts 9 is that things are different now. You are different now because Christ is risen. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now go preach salvation to the Gentiles. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now repent and be baptized. God raised Jesus from the dead. Now write a literary masterpiece. God raised Jesus from the dead. Change everything and be yourself.